0: Today, we are continuing our series called Things Set Right, where we are looking in detail at the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus proclaiming to the world that he has come to set things right, that the kingdom of God has come, and that he is the agent of God's bringing About the kingdom of God. If you are new to Cornerstone, if this is the first time that you're watching or listening online or tuning into the podcast, I want to welcome you and encourage you to connect with us. So you can go to our website, cornerstonenh.org, click on that new here button, or wherever you're watching or listening, you can text the word new to 603-225-2550. That's our church number. And we will be able to welcome you personally and stay in touch with you to encourage and equip you as you continue on your spiritual journey. And as we continue in the Gospel of Mark, I want to roll back the timeline and look at the context of hundreds of years before the events described in the Gospel of Mark. And I'm going to... focus in on this particular verse. This is Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. It's God speaking to Abraham and he says, "...and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed." all because you have obeyed me. And what this is talking about is that when after God created the world and mankind rebelled against him and things started progressively going downhill from there, he began a rescue plan, a way, a a plan a a strategy for setting things right that we see coming to fruition in the gospel of Mark. But there's this great context to it, and it starts with him setting aside, choosing a particular person and people that he was going to execute this plan through. And it began with a couple, Abraham and Sarah, who, at that time, when, he, when God called them, were childless, but his plan was to use them to create a people, a family, and then a nation, a people, that were going to be the agents of his setting things right in the world. And so, through a variety of different circumstances, Abraham and Sarah have a child, and that child is the promised child that will start this new nation. And God tests Abraham by asking him to sacrifice that son. Now, just to be clear, it was never God's intention that he would actually sacrifice his son. It was a test. We know that because when Abraham goes to obey, he is stopped by God. And why did he obey? He figured that even if he killed his son, that God would be able to raise him from the dead, but God. I didn't want that. He stopped him and then he re, God reiterates the promise and that promise was that through Abraham's descendants the people that he would father that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So he was chosen, but he was chosen for a mission and it was a an others centered mission. All the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. Now, I wanted to start with that story because the people of Jesus' day, when they heard that the kingdom of God was at hand, that all these promises were about to be fulfilled, that was the context in which they heard or should have heard what Jesus was doing and what he was bringing to fruition, that they had a mission and that that mission was that through their people that all the nations of the earth would be Blessed because they received, they trusted, they acknowledged God for who he is and were willing to be used for his purposes. When that was the challenge that Abraham rose to, it was the challenge that the people of Jesus' day were being presented with. And in some respects, it is the challenge that we are are presented with as well will we receive and obey God's direction and his way of doing things to accomplish our mission so that he might work in us and through us to bless the world So, that's just a little bit of context. Remember, we said in the book of Mark that this is kind of the overall summary message, that Jesus is the king. It's all about who Jesus is. He is that Messiah, the king, the anointed one of God, who secures victory through the cross, that he was a king that wasn't going to conquer through war, but he was going to uh, secure victory through the cross. Now... Um. We've just been we've been going through the Book of Mark, and I want to give you a little bit of the context of the immediate uh, scenes, the events that were recorded right before we get to what we're talking about today. Remember at the beginning, Mark starts out by putting all the cards on the table. He says, this is the good news about Jesus, it's all about Jesus, the Messiah, he's the anointed one, he's the promised one, he's the one that God is going to use to accomplish his purposes, and he is the son of God. He is not just a man, he is fully man, but he is also fully God as well, pointing to his divinity. But from that point on, Mark doesn't tell us anymore what he thinks about Jesus. He allows the events of Jesus' life that he's recording to make the case and to tell the story and to convince us. And in the last several weeks, we've been looking at a series of stories that were designed to affirm this evaluation of Jesus. First, it was the calming of the storm. In Mark 4.39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Now, they would have known that the only person who controls and commands the waves and the sea is God. Then they see Jesus doing exactly that. That's why they were amazed. That's why they were astounded because they see Jesus doing what they knew only God can do. It's making the case for Jesus' divinity. Then the next scene was the scene where Jesus encounters the The demoniac. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And remember, in the conflict with the Pharisees, they said, You're casting out demons by the power of Satan. And Jesus said, that doesn't even make sense. Before you conquer somebody, you have to be stronger than them. You have to bind them up. You have to tie them down. And who's the only person who is stronger than, than Satan? That is God. And you see Jesus doing what only God can do, again, making the case for his divinity. Then the last story that we looked at last week was the story of healing. Uh, this is the woman who says, it says, she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I I will be healed. Again, different kind of story, healing story, and also then the second story, raising the girl from the dead. But in each case, it's designed to affirm Jesus' identity. What's that have to do with? Well, there was this understanding from the scriptures that we went to in detail and explained last week that If I can just touch his robe, the Messiah, when he comes, will bring healing in his wings. And we talked about how that was, it's convoluted. You'll have to go back and listen to it. But basically it meant, if I can touch his robe, then healing power will flow. And then the woman touches his robe, healing power flows, thus again confirming his identity. Now you would think with and this is i think part of the way mark has arranged peter's preaching in the gospel of mark that if you see all of these these events happening And you see Jesus doing what only God can do, then you're supposed to come to the conclusion well, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And you would think that everyone who experienced these things would recognize that, especially if they knew all the promises and had all the background that the people did. But. In this story that we're going to look at today, this event that we're going to look at today, we see that that simply isn't the case. And actually, this is an ongoing theme throughout the Gospels. This is the way John, the, uh, the evangelist, described it in his Gospel. It says, He came to his own people And even they rejected him. The people that knew what was going on, the people that should have understood, the people that should have recognized who Jesus is, he came to them, but they rejected him. And then there's the contrast, but in the next verse, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So, and I want to focus in on those two words, believed and accepted. Belief is not just mental assent. It's not just acknowledging intellectually facts. It is the same word for faith and trust. What that means is they recognized who Jesus is. Yes, they intellectually accepted it, but they also put their trust in him. They declared their allegiance to him and accepted him. We sometimes talk about accepting Christ. This has the idea, and that's part of it, But this has the idea of welcoming and receiving someone. Uh, that when a person shows up at your house, when you welcome them and receive them, you treat them like family. That's the idea. That, that his own people, who should have welcomed him as family, did not. But to everyone, open invitation, who did entrust themselves to him and welcomed and received him. To them, they gave. he gave the right to become the children of God, adopted into his family, a part of his kingdom. So today, we are actually going to be talking about humility. I'm not going to say that word a lot, but that's really what this is about. It's about having the humility to Uh, to entrust yourself to God, to acknowledge His way of doing things, and to cooperate with Him in what He's doing. And that requires a certain level of humility. And in this scene from Jesus' life, we're going to see the benefit of humility but through the contrast of the loss that comes with pride. And the bottom line is a little bit long, so hold on for just a second. But that's this: this is it. That we don't want to miss out on what God wants to do for you and through you by rejecting the one that He, God, works through. Don't miss out. On what God wants to do for you and through you by rejecting the one he works through. And the challenge is to trust and receive. To trust God and trust yourself to him and receive, accept, welcome his way of doing things. So let's look at it together. This passage from Mark chapter 6. Verses 1 to 6, it's a short chapter. And remember, it's, at the, uh, it's right after Mark has shown these scenes from Jesus' life that affirm Jesus' identity as Christ and Messiah and Son of God. So, what would the response be? What would you expect it to be? And what do we see the response being? So, this is, again, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. And we are reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus left that part of the country and returned to his disciples, with his disciples, to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he could do, couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look at your word today, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us and through us, that you would show us what you want to do for us and through us, And that you would give us the humility to entrust ourselves to you and also to receive and welcome your agent, Jesus Christ, the one through whom you work in our lives, the anointed one, fully God and fully man, who you have appointed. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us faith and trust that we would receive that and that we would see the good things that you have planned for us as we entrust ourselves to you. We thank you for this, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so again, bottom line. We don't miss out on what God wants to do for us and through us by rejecting the one that he works through. Now, what I want to do is use three key words, three key responses that we see in this short passage to outline the response that we should have to Jesus. And the first response that I want you to see is that Jesus astonishes. Jesus astonishes. At the beginning of this passage, it says, Jesus left that part of the country. Now, pause right there. Now, remember, when you read through the gospel of Mark, it might seem like just a bunch of disconnected uh, events and scenes from Jesus' life, but there definitely is a an organized organization to it their organizing principles and remember one of those is that whenever you see a change of scenery a change of geography that is an indication that there's a new section starting so i'm hoping that when you saw jesus when you heard me say jesus left that part of the country that should have immediately kicked in oh this is a new section change of geography change of scene new section He left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. That was where his family lived. So the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and many listeners were astonished. There's that response. And we see this. Uh, over and over again. What do we Remember, we uh, outlined Jesus' ministering activity. He teaches, he heals, he prays. We see this pattern over and over again in these scenes from Jesus' life in the Gospel of Mark. He teaches. He teaches with authority. He goes and shows up at the synagogue. He teaches, and the people are amazed at his teaching. And this is what is happening here in his hometown as well. And so, they asked, Where did he get all this wisdom that's related to his teaching and the power that's related to his healing and miracles to perform such miracles? So here he shows up, not only have they heard about it, but now they're getting to see it firsthand, his wisdom in his teaching and his power in the performing of miracles. So when we are confronted with, when we are brought face-to-face with Jesus, His power, His teaching, His work, then it is astonishing. And that should help us to see, that's what Mark wants us to do, that's what the preaching of Peter that's recorded in Mark is supposed to do, is to show us, to convince us that He is Jesus the Messiah and the Son of God. And that we would, in turn, respond with trust and receive, welcome, acknowledge that God is, is uh, has appointed Jesus as his Christ and the Son of God. But that's not always the case. That astonishment, in this case, turns to something else. And remember, we don't want to miss out on what God wants to do for us and through us by rejecting the one he works through. But what happened here is that Jesus offends. Now, it's not that Jesus is offensive, but people get offended at Jesus. So what do we see next? They're astonished by his teaching, but then there's a change in attitude. They scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. So, it's, it's kind of the, an illustration of the parable that Jesus, the, the proverb that Jesus is going to quote in just a second, rather than seeing the uh, appreciating the amazing teaching And appreciating the miracles that he has done, they instead get offended because they're thinking he's. He's just a carpenter. Now, the carpenter doesn't, uh, it, this word, it, maybe it would be better translated as craftsman. It's somebody who works in wood and stone, but it was the trade that Jesus had. And he's like, hey, this This guy's just a tradesman. What makes it, him think he's so special? Then he's described as the son of Mary, which could be a little bit of an insult because usually people were called the son of their father, but this is indicating, you know, that the, they recognized that Jesus' birth was a little bit out of the ordinary, and for believers and for people who understood what was going on, they recognized that there was a virgin birth. But people had a hard time uh, accepting that. And so, there was rumors that he was illegitimate or that something else was going on. So, they call him the son of Mary, and that might be a little jab at him or indication they know at least part of the story of what was going on. And it says, and, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, is like, we know his family. We know where he came from. What makes him so special? And they scoff. Because they're like, who's he think he is? Well, he's not any better than us, goes on. And his sisters live right here among us. We know his family. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Now, there are two aspects to this. One is, it's a warning. The story is a warning for us not to be offended at Jesus, because there's, there is a certain part of the, there, there are aspects of the gospel that people can get offended at. For example, in order to receive the gospel, you have to acknowledge your own sinfulness. Sometimes our pride gets in the way of acknowledging our own sinfulness. I often encounter this in myself when it comes to apologizing to people. I hate to have to apologize to people sometimes because that means I have to admit that I was in the wrong and that my actions were not justified. And so that means I have to dismantle my pride in order to do that. And in the same way, when you come to Christ, you have to acknowledge you've blown it. And beyond that, that you can't do anything about it, that you can't be good enough to undo the past. So it requires a certain degree of humility. And that's an aspect of it. The other aspect is that sometimes God wants to do stuff for you or in you, and other times he wants to do stuff through you. And sometimes we disqualify ourselves by looking at ourselves and saying, well, I'm just (laughs) the equivalent of saying, I'm just from Nazareth. I'm just a tradesman. You know, I'm just, look at my family. Our family isn't anything special. But that is wrong. If God wants to use you, what matters is not you, but him. And what he wants to do and what he can do. And he can use anyone from any where. So don't don't rule out that he has a plan and something special for you to do. So part of the trust and receive is to recognize that when God calls you, when he gives you an objective, when he gives you a mission, that what matters is him, not you. You can receive it. You can acknowledge it. You can run with it. We don't miss out on what God wants to do for you, but also through you by rejecting the one that he works through. So at the start, we see the people, they are astonished because of the wisdom and the power that Jesus has. But rather than responding in the right way with faith and humility and trust, they instead reject Jesus. They are offended that this one of their own is uh has this power and is doing these things and as a result we see something that is almost unique in the gospels Jesus is amazed the people are astonished they become offended and refuse to believe and this is amazing to Jesus so after seeing their response Jesus quotes this uh proverb Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was amazed at their unbelief. So uh, here because um, they've seen these things happening they see they hear his teaching, they see some miracles we also we already know that he had done some miracles because it talks about them being amazed or astonished at his power and his teaching and here it says, because of their unbelief, because they rejected they were offended at him and did not believe it says he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them so even here where you're saying uh, 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 colloquially you know jesus couldn't do anything there except for this and that it's describing that even even though that's the case he did do some things there so it wasn't there it wasn't a complete issue but uh, some people get tripped up because it says he couldn't do any miracles um, God can do whatever he wants. God can do whatever he wants through Jesus. Jesus is fully God and fully man. So it's not like he can't, but he has decided to work things in a certain way. And faith or belief or trust is rewarded. And so when he encounters all of this unbelief, the way things work is that you're not going to get the benefit. You, you miss out because of your unbelief. That's just the way things work. That's the way God has set things up in the same way that objects are drawn together to one another through the power of gravity. That's the way the universe is set up. So also unbelief is a hindrance or a barrier to what God wants to do in you and through you. So it says because of their unbelief, He couldn't do miracles among them except for a few things here and there. And then it says they were amazed at their, he was amazed at their unbelief. Uh, This is kind of a, a a mind blowing statement that you could shock Jesus. (laughs) And that's the idea is that, uh, you know, he, he obviously knew their hearts and it wasn't a surprise to him, but it but, but Peter's preaching recorded in the Gospel of Mark, that was the response that he observed in Jesus. Amazement at their unbelief. And that makes sense. I mean, think about it. They had, uh, these, sto- these, these events had just been recounted of Jesus commanding the wind and the waves, uh, exercising authority over the powers of evil, Uh, healing people and even raising people from the dead and then in spite of all of this the stories that had been told and now he comes into his own hometown and demonstrates the same kind of thing astonishing teaching amazing power and they still refuse to believe that is astonishing it is amazing and so, to me, I mean, what's, what's the point of that? Why, why is this recorded? What's he trying to do? He's trying to say, don't be like those people. Don't, uh, when presented with the overwhelming evidence, when presented with the, uh, with the teaching of Jesus and the actions that he accomplished, don't be like this. It, it, it's unthinkable that you would respond in this way what's the right way? What is the natural response? I mean, what would be expected? What would not be amazing to see all of this stuff? And then to say, of course, Jesus is who he says he is. Of course, he's doing these things. To trust that God is bringing about the fulfillment of his promises, that he is setting things right, and he's doing it through Jesus. And then to to receive that, to welcome it, to say, yeah, I want in on that. That would be what would be expected. That would be the natural response to all of these things. It's only amazing that in spite of all the evidence and all the firsthand experience that the people had, that they were still refusing to believe. So again, bottom line, don't miss out on what God wants to do for you and through you by rejecting the one he works through. Now, in order to receive the one that he works through, in order to not miss out on what God wants to do for and through you, the beginning of that journey is to entrust yourself completely, acknowledging Jesus as Christ and Savior, Christ and Lord, And that's what we encourage you to do every week. What does that mean? To commit your life to Jesus, to trust and receive him. It means that you're going to humbly acknowledge that you are a sinner. That you have messed up. That you can't even live up to your own expectations, let alone God's. And that you are in need of forgiveness. And then to look at what Jesus did on the cross and say to God, I want what he did on the cross to count for me. I want his sacrifice for the sins of the world to include my sins. I want to be included in the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for us on the cross with his own broken body and spilled blood. It also means that you are acknowledging that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. And so we acknowledge him, we receive him as Lord. What that means is that he's going to be the boss. He's going to get to call the shots in our lives. We are going to obey him. And then when we do that, we are included in his family, adopted into his family we become the children of God and we are citizens in his kingdom that's the whole design of the gospel of mark is to tell the story of Jesus so that you will recognize who Jesus is and declare your allegiance to him, to commit your life to him. So if you're watching on our church online platform, click that button. If you are listening or watching anywhere else, we want to be able to encourage you and celebrate this decision. So text the word yes to our church number, 603-225-2550, and we'll be able to celebrate with you and also resource you as you begin to walk with Christ. The challenge is to trust and receive. It begins with that first step of accepting and trusting Christ as Savior and Lord. But as the apostle John said, just as you receive Christ Jesus, so continue to walk in him. And many of you who are watching today, you've already committed your life to Christ. But there are times where our pride gets in the way, or we just don't feel like we are measuring up. And this event, this scene from Jesus' life, I hope will encourage you to once again entrust yourself to him. That there are things that he wants to do for you. And we just need to believe that he's going to do what he said he would promise, uh, that, that he has promised to do. Some of you, he wants to do stuff through you, but you've disqualified yourself. You look and you say, I'm not I'm not impressive enough, I don't have the background, I don't have the training, I don't have the, and you look at all the excuses and all the reasons why God can't or won't use you. And what you're saying is it's all about me, not God. Well, the truth is, it's all about God, not you. And if he decides to use you, to tap you for some particular purpose, to uh, commission you for some mission that if all you have to do is say yes and he will use you to accomplish his purposes. And just like Abraham was, was blessed so that he could be a blessing, he was given that mission. We also have a mission to, to show the world what it means to follow Jesus, to tell the story of Jesus to the world. So whoever you are and wherever you are, if you're following Jesus, you have a mission and a commission. So let's band together. Let's lock arms. Let's trust God is going to use us to accomplish his purposes. Let's welcome his work and his way of doing things in our lives. And let's not miss out on the good things that God has planned for us, that he wants to do for us and through us. Let's, in, let's receive the one Jesus who the story of the Bible is all about, the one that God wants to, to send to us to live in and through us so that he can set things right. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you because we can look around and see in the world that things are not as they are supposed to be. We can look in ourselves and see that things are not as they are supposed to be. But you have sent Jesus, and he is your way of setting things right, in us and in our world. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give us faith. I pray that we would obey wholeheartedly, and I pray that you would give each person the wisdom to know exactly how this message hits for them and what they should, how they should respond to it. And then give us the courage and faith and trust and initiative to respond in obedience, to do those things that you are calling us to do, to have the faith that you deserve from us. I pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.